Hey, man. Hey, Edwin. That's my that's my government name. Yes. <laughs> very nice. I uh, yeah, I like it. Very uh, very official. Man, I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on the show, man. I, um, I, you know, I actually met you a f several years ago. Jack introduced us uh, at the Hickson seminar where uh, Vegas. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but man, uh, at some point became friends with you on Facebook. I've seen you on a couple of podcasts. So um, it's, a, it's a pleasure to get down uh, to sit down and talk with you, man. Glad to be here. Well, uh, so, uh, so man, how did you and Jack meet? He, I texted him that we were doing this podcast. He said he might hop on and listen here for a minute. So if you see him log in, uh, but man, how did, uh, how did you and Jack meet? He's a great friend of mine. So in about 2010, I, I um, went to my first Hicks and Gracie seminar. And like most people, I go to a Hickson seminar. I was like totally, totally blown away. And after that, I kind of went on this like quest to find as much, you know, Hickson jujitsu as possible. And there was a thread on, um, it used to be mixedmartialarts.com. It was an underground forum. It used to be this like real popular forum. I'm not sure what, what's going on with today. But um, there was a Hickson technique thread on there. And I kept seeing this guy post Jack Toffer, Jack Toffer, Jack Toffer. So, um, I had commented on there and Jack and I went back and forth with messages and he was kind of wondering, Hey, how did you know this particular technique detail or something like that? So we started talking through that and um, I was looking for anybody that knew the Hicks and the Hicks and stuff, you know, I was looking for anything. So uh, Jack was in Philadelphia in business and it's about four hours from me. So shot him up here. He did a seminar and uh, we just hit it off. Became great friends. He's, he's honestly one of my best friends. And, um, yeah, and just ever since then, that was probably 2014 or 13. So we've just been friends ever since. Man, that would have been around the same time that I met Jack. And like, I want to say, so like he was in town on business in Northwest Arkansas where um, some, well, Caleb, you know, you were on his podcast, but he just happened to be in town. And then one of the other owners, real good friend of mine's in my wedding called me and he's like, dude, this is, there's this guy here who like knows Hicks and stuff. And he's just training with us. And I was like, what do you mean? And uh, he was like, well, this guy's name's Jack Toffer. You got to look him up uh, to, go, to go to Budo videos and, and uh, look at these BJJ versus cancer. And man, I've watched those videos so many times. Like, and show them. I tell all of my new students about them. They're such a... But man, I remember when I went on those, those same quests and was watching Hickson documentaries that were in Japanese... But they had like some English narration or subtitles. And I mean, I would, anywhere I could find it. And then they released those 93 seminars of Hawaii and Chicago, which yep. are jewels. Oh, yeah, they're great. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, and I, I kind of, you know, was on the same thing, same quest, same idea. Yeah, so, it, well, and two, so like Kixon didn't really, the whole like first decade that I was training, he wasn't really doing a whole lot, right? Yeah. And, and I feel like I, I remember hearing about the seminar that you hosted him for. And it, is, that, is that around the same time he started kind of getting back out there and doing seminars again? Yeah, more or less. It would be like he would do a seminar kind of here or there for a friend. Um, and well, I saw him in 2010 at Pedro Sowers. And he hadn't really been around since then. I think like 2008 was the time prior to that. So uh, when, I, when he came for a seminar here, he was really focused on upstarting the Jiu-Jitsu Global Federation. And it hadn't come to fruition yet. So that, that was like his main focus. And um, when we did uh, the seminar here, it was kind of like a you know, coming out thing. It took a long time to convince him to come. But yeah, it was the first one he did in, in quite a while. You know, um, just seeing you post on social media, I just recently read the, uh, that book that you were talking about that like inspired you, the uh, Jerry Weintraub book. Yeah, let me change the scene real quick where it's more quiet. Yeah, that book is that book was uh, totally it was amazing. Totally life changing. I didn't um, when I read it, I just was fascinated by the story. To be honest with you, I wasn't even so much um, thinking about using it or making it a part of anything. I was just really hold on. Sorry about this. You're good. Guys are training up there. Um, I read it just intrigued by the story, just super fascinated by the guy. 
and then like the timing was weird how it worked out where you know it was like that read that book and then the hickson thing and it just kind of like all came to fruition that book's you can't get much much more motivating than that oh and it was such a i listened to it in less than three days yeah. Just driving. I, I have an office at the college where I work at. It's about 25 minutes away. And I've been developing an online class. So I sh- two days of shooting back and forth and listening a little bit in my office in the mornings when I wake up. And man, it was, I couldn't, couldn't put it down, couldn't stop listening to it. It was yeah. great. Yeah, he's a fascinating, super fascinating guy. There's a documentary called My Way. Um, I'll have to look into that. Yeah, it's, it's about Jerry Weintraub. It kind of follows the progression of the book. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. So, man, um, you know, I saw like uh, just recently, I was keeping up with you um, and you had uh, just ha- recently had a combat jujitsu match with a, a guy that's actually a friend of mine. He was recently on the podcast, taught a seminar at my school before. Uh, Jams is just one, one uh, state over, but man, I, I kind of kept up with you a little bit uh, while you were training for that. Saw uh, you and Jack training together before the event and stuff. Um, what did you... Uh, was that your first time competing in a while? Yeah, it was my first time in, I think, uh, five years. And you're, what, you're 37 years old? 30, 32. You're only 32? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, dude, you're younger than I am. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I got to get my shit together. I started jujitsu. I, I started really young. I started when I was about 10 years old. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, okay, that thwarts my question. I was going to ask you, like, Man, how do you train for a jiu-jitsu match uh, at 37 after five years off? But that's not it. But I will say, man, like when I got to be about 27, that's when I really started noticing I was slowing down. I was competing a lot then. And that's when I kind of just dwindled down the amount that I was competing. But what was it like? I mean, it's been about three years since I competed. What was it like having a five-year gap? And how did you train to come back from that? You know, I, uh, I I suffered severe burnout. I started competing when I was about 11 years old, all the way up until I think really I got I started facing burnout. I, I ended I stopped fighting MMA in 2013, and I think I was 26 or something like that. So um, I definitely did too much too soon with mixed martial arts, and that kind of messed things up for me a bit. I wouldn't say it messed things up for me a bit, but it just put me on a different trajectory. Like now, I feel like as if I'm in my prime, but um, you know, thinking like if I fought MMA right now, what it would be like, but training for that was, was pretty exciting. I had taken a month in January with my wife and my kid, and we went to California just really just to be there for the month. And simultaneously I had kind of been offered and talked to Eddie Bravo a little bit. One of my guys was fighting in combat jujitsu, a uh, black belt here, Matt Secor is very, very good. Um, he was fighting combat jujitsu. I talked to Eddie and it just kind of happened and I said, you know, maybe it's time for me to jump back into things. My schools were kind of running themselves. We went to California for a month. So I was able to train uh, with total focus for the first time since I was about 18 years old. And um, that was pretty incredible. And the training for me was pretty simple because I've always done jujitsu uh, for fighting. I fought MMA a lot and uh, with a self-defense mindset. So adding in the strikes were, were it was actually, it, it felt easier to me. It, it was like exciting. Like, oh, wow, I get to actually you know, apply the positions as I normally see them and normally, you know, talk about them. So it wasn't too bad. It was, uh, and I've always kept myself active running like, you know, marathons, and ultra marathons and, oh, wow. and keep it. Yeah. And keeping things kind of, kind of going. And I'm always here at the gym training and teaching. So it was just really just intensifying things. Uh, I can definitely empathize with a lot of that, man. I haven't had, um, a coach myself every day. Like when I was competing, a few years ago full-time it was like I would go travel and train do privates bring people in for seminars whatever I could do um but when's the last time you had uh, like you were a student like when you weren't the guy owning the gym how long has that been a long time it would be same thing with you like periodically if I was training for something or sometimes I'll just like I would uh I spent the one year going back and forth to California when I first met Hickson um but I'll go down to Matt Sarah's Ricardo Almeida's as, as much as I can and then we, we built a good, you know, we've been open here 14 years. So we have, you know, 20 plus black belts that uh, will really give me a run. And, and we, so we have, we built a good network here basically um, in this period of time. But uh, yeah, I'll try to go to Matt Sarah's and Ricardo's whenever I can. It's like really just to recharge myself and refocus my energy and things like that. But it's tough though. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've felt that many times and it's, um, 
it's definitely nice also just like when you go compete to have somebody there coaching you like that was something i always tried to line out if i was competing uh i'd try and compete sometimes out of state where my students wouldn't be there um and uh that was something that i would always try and have mike that guy i mentioned that uh you know, knows Jack also. I would always try and have him there, man. It was it was massively beneficial to have somebody in my corner. Yeah, no, definitely. It's good. You you can't, and it, it's a uh, gives you a sense of confidence, and uh, you know that like I can remember, I've always certain people I'd have in my corner, whether it was Ricardo or Matt Sarah, or even this past combat you get to had um, one of our, my training partners here, Tom, and Chris Howder, and it's like you know when guys like that are in your corner, like you feel like you can't lose. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, positive thing yeah man so how long have you been owning your own academy like 14 years did you open it 14 years ago uh no i 14 years ago i was 18 or 19 and uh there were two gentlemen that owned it who are still active here and uh in about 2013 as i was starting to kind of lose my passion for fighting not passion i'd say but more of my i say it's like one day i woke up and my switch was turned off and as that started to diminish, I said, you know, I'm going to really focus all my energy here into the gym. So I bought out those, the two guys that were there and kind of took the gym over. It was 2013. And then from there, I've just, you know, learned as I went and, and it's been an up and down journey. And then, you know, things were really at a, at a point pre-COVID where I, I finally was like in California training, like I was saying for that month. And I sat back and went, wow, I'm finally... I've reached the pinnacle of what I've been working towards, which is having, you know, two successful gyms here um, that I'm involved with all the time, but basically where they can run themselves. We have multiple instructors and I can, you know, be where I need to be at important times. And, um, you know, then this whole situation just kind of put a nail on it. One of my guys is trying to grab his shoes under my leg. Um, but yeah, so uh, 2013 and it's just been a, you know, learning process. I was terrible in school and, you know, I didn't really, you know, have any business skills and all I knew starting a, a jujitsu school was members pay money. And that was about the extent. So I had to teach myself everything. Man, what are some of the things that you, I I'm kind of the same way, man, like Google precursor to this question. Like I started uh, Caleb and them, they had moved to Northwest Arkansas. It was kind of like, find a gym or somebody to split rent with, start doing it on your own. But I had no skills. I was in college to become a historian, which I, I, I teach college history now. But man, it was, it was like, well, what do you do? You know, like uh, I copy people's processes. Do I go to this trade show over here? Do I get a business degree also? I, I thought about all of that, but like, what did you do? Like, how did you... Uh, you know, flatten that curve because obviously you're doing well. You have two schools. I always had, um, I was extremely confident when it came to fighting, when it came to jujitsu. And I think that confidence helped me in the beginning push forward and get this going. And then it was all, it was actually Hoist Gracie. He was here in 2013. He told me about a video by this guy named Suli Breaks, who's a spoken word artist. And the video is incredible. It's called why I hate school, but I love education. And that video was like talking to me because like I graduated high school at a 65 on the day of graduation, I found out and then moved right to New Jersey and started getting ready for my first, my first professional fight. And so school was always an afterthought to me. And, um, but I was stuck in that trap that most kids and most adults are stuck in where it's, you know, it's high school, college, master's degree. It's that, that strict order of education that you go through when really like education and knowledge is something that is happening 24 hours a day. When you turn on the TV, when I talk to you, when I'm teaching my class, when someone tells me something. So I watched that video and it really like inspired me. I felt like it was talking to me, you know, which a lot of people have that experience with things like that. And shortly thereafter, I had, uh, um, I had a guy who was opening a gym here locally in my, in my hometown. And or he wasn't opening a gym. He bought this building in my hometown and he was trying to, he was going to put a restaurant there and he had this building next door. And he basically offered me six figures to open a jujitsu school with no return on investment. Here you go. Free money, open a gym. And I, I was, I really went there just to talk to the guy, but for him, the reason he did it was because 
for him to do that, it was a lot less of an investment than for him to put this restaurant in that he was planning on putting in, which would have been, you know, triple the price. So he was like, you know, I could put this in, it'll be good for the community. It's kind of in a, you know, rougher area and it would have been something positive. But so I, I just went there to give the guy a handshake and look at the place. And then I left there going, well, I guess I'm going to have a second gym now. And uh, about a week after I really thought about things, I had to call the guy and turn him down. And I was like, if you told me, you know, 10 years ago that I was going to turn down $100,000 to open a gym, I would tell you you're out of your mind. And in hindsight, maybe it would have been something where I'd taken, I'd figure it out. But I, I just sat back and I go, wow, I thought my gym was doing good. I don't have enough instructors. I don't have a sales team. I, I don't understand marketing. I don't know how to do graphic design. I don't know how to do website. I don't know how to, any of this stuff. I'm just running a gym. So I took that moment. I turned him down. It was awful. And uh, I wrote a book a day for about five months, and which I, I got inspired by this guy, Ty Lopez. I was watching his videos. So I read a book a day for five months and I said, I'm going to learn everything that I need to know in these five months about business, about everything that I don't know that I want to know. So I taught myself graphic design. I taught myself uh, web design. I do my website. I do most of the graphic design. I have a good friend in California that helps me out. Um, marketing, sales, business, I, I, you know, whatever I didn't know, I took that five months history, Russian history, Soviet history, but um, I took that five months and learned as much as I could possibly do and just totally immerse myself. And that was like, that put me so far ahead of things. It was funny, like immediately I had people asking me like how I do certain marketing things or certain design things. Like, like I know what I'm doing you know? and I do, but not like, you know, I didn't go to college for it, but that was just further proof to me that, you know, you can, you can learn anything and do anything. And I've always had that mindset. So that's really like my story of, how I taught myself business kind of an unconventional way. A book a day for five months is super impressive. Were you yeah. doing audio books? No, no. I would just wow. get the physical book. I would wake up about an hour and a half earlier. I would read and then I would work on speed reading. I would read multiple books at the same time. I, I didn't put, I didn't put a limit on, I, I got to read this book today. I got to read this. I would read a couple chapters until something hit me. I put it down. I'd come back. I'd, I'd maybe go through a chapter. It didn't really mean anything. I'd skip that, go to the next one, pick up another book and, you know, kind of just go through it like that. But I, that whole five months was, was that. I also at the same time went through, I, I was studying Jordan Peterson and I found that he had all of his college lectures and college classes on his YouTube channel. This is right when he was on his first Rogan appearance. So I watched all, all of his two hour classes for a couple months as if I was in the class. So I just dedicated as pre pre having a child. <laughs> so I just dedicated about four hours a day to uh, like I was in college, you know, taking his classes, reading the books and trying to figure stuff out. And that was like, it was a very, very, it was very chaotic at first, but it sorted itself out over time. And it was like the best, best thing I ever did. Man, that is, that's great. And you know, people have the availability to do that so much more now. There's so many universities, even Ivy League colleges that will offer a free class occasionally. Yeah, uh, sure. uh, and man, like there's, I'll tell you one that's uh, being offered right now at a lot of universities, African-American history that I would love to to take. And man, I'm kind of like what you were talking about. I'm to a place where life's slowing down a little bit more. I've got, I'm settled into my teaching position, even even with the coronavirus and issues with that and us shutting down we actually moved to a, a new spot twice the size oh, wow. bought a new location moved in two weeks after the move that's when the the covid hit right I'm glad so it yeah yeah man yeah so um but man so like let me let me ask you a few questions about this where are you guys in like in your community in relation to like, let's say, uh, New York City with like how cases and, and the coronavirus and everything is? We're three hours north of the city. And, you know, as far as our area, we, you know, there's in my county, there's about 150,000 people. We're about, um, that's in the whole county. So, and we're like a half hour north of Albany, which is that, the capital. But in Albany, in our area, like the cases are so, we're, I'm not talking deaths, I'm talking cases are single digits across the board. Wow. And, uh, you know, even those cases that are single digits, it's all like 
asymptomatic things and you know stuff like that so i mean it's so it's so unbelievably low here that it's basically eradicated in my opinion how long has it been like that or is it just the whole time months a uh, month over a month that that was when, you know i really started thinking about reopening early and you know defying the government or whatever but when i have multiple doctors that train here that i would talk to on a regular basis and um, one of them you know works in critical care and i would touch base and say, Hey, what are things like? How's it going? And then I opened on May 27th. I'd say late April, it started to, the conversation shifted from, Oh, there's a, you know, there's five people in ICU to, Oh, I don't know. I'm, I've been on the phone with the CFO all day, trying not to get the hospital shut down. So, uh, when that started happening and when, um, I knew a couple people that had it that were sick, you know, like any other sickness. And, um, when I started to see a trend of not many people in this area having it, when I started to see doctors loosen up on what this was and you know what they're telling me, I said, why am I gonna sit here and wait? And why, why am I, I could go, this is going off into a whole nother, but business owners care about their businesses more than the CDC does, more than the government does. Business owners will take precautions next level precautions to ensure the survival of their business um, far more than the government will help them do that. And so I started to see this trend of people waiting, 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 and wondering like, I look around and I look around locally, like there's nobody that has it. Like there was a few people here or there. So, and I have hundreds of people messaging me every day that they can't wait to come back and kids that have depression and guys with PTSD and I had students relapsing back into alcohol and it was like, I'm, I'm depressed not being here. I'm doing zoom classes, trying to do the best I can. And then I'm getting hit left and right with these like, you know, terrible stories, not of COVID, but of like severe mental health issues. So I said, you know what, we're, we're going to open. And, um, these are consenting people. These are consenting adults. They're consenting parents. Uh, I mean, it's like, what's next? Is the government going to like go into your bedroom and like, tell you, you know, it's like, and you're a historian and the way tyranny works is little by little, you know, and regardless of what someone believes, whether the, you know, there's a lot of debate on the mask and stuff like this, but there's a trend occurring and there is a playbook and the writing is on the wall. And so when I saw that, I said, I would be, it would be negligent for me to be a part of that as opposed to negligent to me opening. So that's kind of where we're at and a long winded tangent, you know, but it's, there's relatively nothing here. Yeah. Well, man, I really, that's something I really wanted to talk to you about because I've just following you on social, I've followed with your, along with your commentary and man, I've been seeing the posts you've made, been seeing the comments section. And I know that <clears throat> I see you're applying to all of those. I know there's tons of people hitting you up. So once again, thanks for taking the time to talk to me about, about all this, but, um, so what kind of, pushback are you getting not necessarily from your members and not necessarily from the government but like some of these people in the comments section like are these people in your community or are they just people that know you like are you getting a lot of hate off of your decisions you know i i expected that i was going to i i there's a great jordan peterson video on the truth about how he's talking about um you know when you have something to say silence is a lie that's like the quote and I've held back my entire teaching career because I've wanted to be, you know, like I have, I have so many people here, so many different viewpoints, but throughout this thing, it just got to a point where I was like, I'm done. <laughs> and this is what I believe. It's not even what I believe. This is what I believe based off of the experience and wisdom that I have accumulated over the years. What, what I think is meaningless. I'm, I'm essentially a parrot more or less, the things I've learned, but I've gotten, I expected after Fox to get tons of pushback. The support is like 10,000 positive to one negative. That's like really what it is. And the put, put it this way, I go down the street and people come up to me and they go, man, I really love what you're doing. I love what you're saying. You know, you're speaking out and, and this and that. That's what I'm consistently hearing. And uh, it's easy. I, you know, it's, it's so funny how negativity works. So because it is so the, the negative comments will get inside my brain and ruin me for the day where I, I keep thinking about it. 
but I'm using it. You know, in that same video, I was talking with Jordan Peterson. He talks about how speaking the truth and then taking that blowback, taking it in, and then making yourself bulletproof against it, using it to, to make yourself and improve yourself for the future reference. So a lot of the uh, idiocy in the comment section, because most of what I'm saying is not opinion-based. If I'm talking about Andrew Cuomo being corrupt, it is because he has been proven to be corrupt. I've, I've asked a question on social media. Do you know anybody currently that has COVID-19? In my opinion, that's like, I don't know. <laughs> that's a pretty bipartisan question. And then the comments become, how dare you? I saw that one. I saw that one. I, I, <laughs> I see what you're doing here, Eddie. Yeah, I, like I, I was surprised because like, there was not, I kept going back up to your post and then I would read some comments yeah. and I'd be like, the, the comments, did, did they read it like I'm reading it? That doesn't justify here. I rewrote the post five times because I said, do you know anybody currently has COVID? And it was like, I, my, I know two people there. And then I was like, well, okay, capital letters. Okay, emojis. Okay, let me put a PS here too because apparently people aren't reading this crap. Like it wasn't a post about the severity of COVID. It wasn't a post about... Uh, you know, anti-Trump or pro-Trump. It was, I'm asking, do you know anybody? Why? Because it's very important that I know what's, if people are on that post that live close to here and they're going, yeah, I know 20 people down the street. Well, that's a problem, you know, and, and I, I'm going to address that. But I'm really wondering, you know, what's going on. And, and uh, a lot of stuff, another reason why I've chosen to speak out more is because once people start trying to control our thoughts and actions and manipulate them. That's a severe, severe problem to me. So I, even in, in some of those comments that you read, there are a lot of like words in there that are not good. <laughs> and like, this is not negotiable was one of the comments about COVID and all the restrictions and stuff like that. Uh, an individual human being on earth telling us this is not negotiable. That's a major, major, major problem. And, um, and also I'm, I'm not, doing anything that I'm doing as biased as I am, everybody's biased, but I'm really concerned with people. I'm, I'm someone who deals with people and I don't like seeing kids depressed. I don't want my house to be foreclosed on. I hate seeing other gyms closed. I hate seeing martial arts owners shut their gyms down. That bothers me. And when I see that there's no COVID cases and when I see that it's, you know, from what I'm telling, what it seemed to becoming some political charade, um, I'm going to open. And if they have something to say about that, well, I guess, uh, I'm, <laughs> I guess, I, I guess you're gone then. I don't know what, to, I don't know what to tell them, you know, but I'd rather have people that support, not me, but I'd rather have people that support the decision that support police officers that support what we're doing than people that are going to be against that and bring negativity and hostility. So, yeah, well, man, I think, uh, just following along with this the whole time I, and, based off what you're just questions I had and what you're saying today, like, I think you did the right thing. Like I, I had Tanner Rice on the podcast after he opened and, but I will say like, I don't know a hundred percent what Tanner's doing, but I know that I've seen some of the videos you put out and you were taking every precaution about uh, cleanliness and the safety of your members. Um, like, I mean, I just saw how you, like when you guys first opened, how you had the bag set up and the individual, like that was a great, and I, I like that you put out those videos, but I also like that you've been vocal about like your civil disobedience. Like, and I just call it that man, like Th Thoreau spent a, a night in jail because he was not going to, to Henry David Thoreau oh, yeah, yeah, okay. because he was not going to pay for, uh, pay to fund the mexican-american war he was not going to be a part of that so they're like oh yeah you don't want to pay or you're going to spend a night in jail but that's like like when i see people doing this i'm like that's a conviction you have to have to initiate uh, and engage in civil disobedience i know that you got an, a notice right after you first opened have you heard anything else from government officials i didn't, I didn't hear anything actually Okay. I thought you'd got like a, a notice that said, Hey, we know you're open. You're not allowed to do that. When I got off Fox, obviously that was, that, that was a lot of heat for that, which mind you, after that, I had people all over the country trying to buy gym memberships. Like that was where I went, Whoa. Okay. So there are more people for this than against it. And I had thousands and thousands of emails 
which I didn't totally, you know, I don't know what I'm, they're going to my website, going on the contact form and emailing me, which is like, you know, there's a process there. But um, I just, uh, well, I think there was a couple gyms. There was a gym owner I saw in Tucker Carlson in New Jersey that opened. And, you know, he kind of had like an aggressive anti-government stance, which regardless of what I believe and regardless of whether or not I support him, which I may, um, I, I felt that there was a more of a middle ground, moderate approach to what we were doing. And um, yeah, in the beginning, there was a lot of heat and stuff, a lot of people complaining. Apparently, I didn't hear, I, but I had a, a, a police officer come in who trains with us and say, yeah, there was a bunch of complaints last week and the town supervisor tried to shut you down. But um, law enforcement wouldn't act upon it because they have no directive whatsoever and there's nothing legally that they can do. Even, I mean, and it's sad. It's sad to see uh, people among all these, like, you know, reopen business groups and they're, they're planning this massive class action lawsuit right now against New York State on a federal level. Gyms are like, you know, fitness gyms, CrossFit. And um, they're going, oh, I can't afford the fines. I can't. I go, I've been open for one month. I've been vocal. I've been on every news station locally. I've been on Fox News. I went on there and I said, hi, hi I'm opening. <laughs> Come and get me. Like, no, um, not to be some, you know, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know, but really just to be like, I know that I can do this safely. I did it originally in the way that they're going to make us do it right now. So why wait a month and a half when this could all be done? This could be gone. And when I see Facebook, I, I've said this multiple times, but when I see social media and Instagram, Facebook, and I see people shutting their schools down, in my mind, that's me. And I'm not going to let that be me. And I don't want to be anybody else. So uh, there's been a lot of threats, like all these people not opening. And I can't find one fine on anybody that's opened their gym. And there's been many people that have opened since I did here. And they are happier than ever. What about some of the other businesses around you that are not in our industry? Like what, uh, I know you post about like some ice cream shop that got fined or something like that. That I can't really uh, support at all. There's been a lot of other things that have happened with that situation, which is why I immediately took that video down. There's a lot of other things and lies and stuff that I didn't know about. So that I had to distance myself from that completely. But okay, okay. Um, I was passionate, like, I'm, I'm passionate about businesses. I'm passionate about people not foreclosing on their house. I'm passionate about people, you know, uh, everything that they work for their entire life. I'm, I'm passionate about them keeping that. So when I hear someone call me and tell me their, 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 uh, you know, life story and, and what's happening to their business and stuff, it, it really, really bothers me and affects me. And, um, there've been a lot of businesses locally here that are restaurants, bars that have, that require state licenses that where the, the state can get, can affect them that way and pull their license. The other thing you're seeing, and this is what really makes me sick, is that our governor here has weaponized the Department of Health. That's what he's done. He's weaponized, he's turned the Department of Health basically into another arm of the military where they're going into restaurants. These restaurants are getting fines. They're not getting fines for social distancing for masks. They're getting fines because the Department of Health will come in for that complaint but they'll go on the back and say, oh, well, the, the sprinkler's not con connected there. That's $2,000. Or they'll go to the sink and say, uh, this hot water valve's not working properly. And so that's really what you're seeing. So when you really look at what these things are with these people getting fines, it's not about this. It's just, it's about them finding a way to instill fear in people into not opening. What was it you were saying about air conditioners? Or I heard something about air conditioners in New York. I, I'm... <laughs> this governor, so he's it, put it this way. I don't even care what I say anymore. Um, I do on some level, but well, hey, I'm sorry I keep asking these controversial questions. Oh, no, and you, you have done a great job about being moderate the whole time. I figured that I could ask you these, and it would be yeah. not controversial because uh, it's fine, and I'm I'm happy to, and I really appreciate it. And I've taken a stance against him on a major way. And, uh, you know, that's another thing, too, you read in the comments. I, I, could, I could put a post up anti-Andrew Cuomo, which almost everybody agrees with on both sides, and people will say, uh, Trump's bad. It's like, I'm not, I'm not talking about Trump at all. I'm talking about one individual. Let's stay on topic here, folks. But, um, no, this guy comes out. It's obvious what he's trying to do. He's, he's prolonging this as much as possible. He, he won't let malls malls and gyms were supposed to open in phase four and phase four comes and they go, Hey, by the way, 
uh, malls and gyms, you're out. You're not opening. So people are losing their minds. You know, they've spent thousands to prepare their business to reopen, and now they can't. Um, so malls can't open because he came out today with some new thing that they're studying and researching about the uh, filters, new special filters that they have to put in air conditioning units, which these filters don't fit into the air conditioning units that they use now. So they're going to have to replace the whole system. How long is that going to take? So how do you shut down a thousand businesses in one swoop? Well, uh, you shut down a mall. You know, I mean, it's as easy as that. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, every, every grocery store, uh, hardware store, you name it. I mean, they've been open for, for months and they now they're not changing their air conditioning unit. It's crazy. It's completely ridiculous. He's prolonging this as long as possible to destroy the state further than he already has. Yeah. Well, so another thing, like I, I know you had someone on to talk about homeschool uh, recently. What's going on with you guys for schools? Has, has there been any talk about what next semester is going to be like either for elementary, junior high, high school or higher education? Yeah, I was just talking to a teacher here uh, after the kids class on the way out and they're basically telling me that they're gearing up for the next school year to be where they uh, like 10 kids to a class, distance, uh, partitioned with the masks and all stuff like that. Even though the American Academy of Pediatrics just came out and said, we're totally, totally opposed, totally opposed to these sanctions on schools because kids are relatively unaffected by COVID. Anyway, so they're talking about um, Como wants to reimagine schools in this virtual sense. That's a very interesting way of putting it. That I Reimagining schools, yeah. Yeah, I cued in on that verbiage and I was like, well, should, shouldn't other people do that? Reimagine the schools? Shouldn't the people in their industries, shouldn't the teachers be the ones that teach? and that come up with what they do. And I'm not talking about these board of education, like, you know, but teachers should be in charge of teaching. Police should be in charge of policing and so on and so forth. But um, he wants to reimagine school. So they're talking about having like 10 kids to a classroom, partitions. If they can't social distance, they got to wear masks. And, you know, maybe that they won't even be open in September. I, I'm, in my opinion, they're not going to be open in September. Just from the trend of what this guy's doing and you know, I mean, we have less cases than we've ever had, and he's instituting more regulations. <laughs> what is the justification for the intent for not going into phase four for certain industries, like for some of these regulations? If you guys are on the decline, is it just a paranoia? Like, what is your assessment of why these decisions are being made? Well, we have a corrupt governor who's one of the most corrupt governors in the history of American politics for a decade. The guy has more scandals you can't even find all the scandals. If I said, look up every scandal he's ever had, you couldn't even find it. We're talking billions of dollars worth of scandals that also filter into his father, who was a uh, governor of the state many years ago. Um, so you have that, you have one of the most corrupt governors in history, who's you know, bankrolled by China and big pharma and you know, the list goes on and on. So he, uh, he has no, by no intents and purposes, there, there's no, nothing good about what he's doing. And phase four, I mean, with the gyms, the gyms and the malls, he's talking about the air conditioning units, like out of nowhere, the CDC never even had one single guideline about uh, filters in an air conditioning unit recirculating the air, because in their opinion, in their studies, that wasn't how people got the virus. They got the virus from the droplets or from, you know, aerosols when people breathe. It's nothing to do with recirculation of air. How about people that are flying on planes left and right? You know, I mean... It's, it's a completely, there's no logic whatsoever in it. And it's obvious at this point that he's trying to push this forward in, in a total different direction where it's like he's using public health as a guise to make more money, do something. I don't know. So we'll see. And you may not know about like, what would you compare what's going on? Like, I mean, I would just say, Look, I know, like, I talked with Sambo Steve on the podcast the other day. I haven't put the episode out, but I know he's in, like, New York City. So, like, he's hit a little – but it, it seems that there's a similar thing going on in California, like Tanner Rice's community. He's not in Southern California. He's in Northern California. Yeah. And it seems crazy to me to say, hey, uh, Eddie, we're going to make your community fall under NYC's conditions. Uh, like – 
states that did a county by county approach seem to the ones that I've seen seem to have the best ones like Nebraska had somebody on talking about that lives in Nebraska talking about, they did a state by or County by County approach in their state. But why is it that uh, you think that California and New York, I think are the most like infringing on people's businesses and rights. Uh, how, how do you think that New York should be handled? Is it a County by County? Do you, like, why are these two States the worst? Well, um, you know, New York, so we're, we're controlled. New York City might as well be a different planet from the rest of our state. Exactly. Every election is won from New York City. Um, you know, I mean, that, that's really how this guy's winning these elections, which is crazy because the rest of the state can't stand him in and, uh, and, and every industry across the board. But, you know, that, that is a very, very tough thing that we're dealing with is that. And they, they've tried to kind of go with, you know, the phased opening. They did do that by regions of New York State so that that like New York City is way behind in the phased opening mm. so uh yeah they tried they tried to do a county by county but yeah most of what we have going on up here is affected by politics in New York City and it shouldn't be the case whatsoever so what uh yeah man I've I've seen you being an advocate of I really appreciate what you're doing. I think there needs to be people that have like a moderate opinion. You haven't been overly radical or anything, but what are you like? What is the plan? Like how, how uh, you seem to be passionate. Are you planning on getting involved with the change that you're talking about? Like, are you going to get involved in politics in your community or in, in your state? What, what are you going to do aside from what you've been doing? Well, you know, I, I will tell you this, that I, I never had any interest. I mean, I guess on some level, I've always paid attention to politics. And if there was something that I was ever interested in growing up, it was always history. Um, I don't know what it was, but in school, I, I could, that, that was something I was always, always drawn to, just the thought of it, the idea of it. And it just, I, I loved studying it. But um, so I never really had an intention of going to politics. And then you know, fast forward to this year in this situation that we're in, and I kind of look around and I go, well, who's gonna, who's running for this or who's running for that? What's going, where, where are all the people? And, and people in New York State have kind of given up. You know, it's been a decade, which is, you know, seems to be part of their social conditioning, but it's been a decade of this corruption in the state. You know, with more people leaving the state than anywhere in the country, it, crazy taxes, it's nuts. I'm so, if I didn't have this gym, I would not live here, put it that way. Like, um, th this gym and the people here in the community is what's keeping me here because it's just crazy. You can't, it, it's insane. But so yeah, this year, um, I'm planning in, in a couple weeks, I'll be making an announcement, but yeah, this year I'm planning to, uh, pick up a second career and go into politics and really try to affect things in a positive way. And I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I definitely know how to work with people. I've had thousands of students over the years. I'm used to dealing with various situations here at jujitsu. And, um, you know, I, I've started businesses, I've run tournaments, I've run things. I know how to work with people. And uh, I, I think, honestly, in my opinion, it's pretty simple because there's a very clear and concise way to run a democratic capitalist society for the good of all people. And not just that, I grew up in the inner city. That's where I was born and raised in the ghetto. I was the minority in my neighborhood where I lived. That's where I was born. So growing up in that area, I guess, I always had the ability to relate. I had the ability to, because I was in that same situation of victimization and trapped in this cycle of, of uh, you know, broken homes and, and, and poor education and things like that. I was trapped in that cycle. And I've always had ideas over the years of what they could do there. And I just, I'm teaching jujitsu. I'm getting punched in the face. You know what I mean? <laughs> what am I doing? So, um, yeah, this year is going to be the year where I really, I really come out and the next couple of years will get very interesting. And, um, I plan on entering politics and I plan on bringing a lot of ideas to the table here that, uh, I think will create a positive change. I have a lot of, I have a lot of ideas for reforming education in the inner city schools, which I think could be, if, if done correctly, could have a nationwide extreme positive impact on the results and the standards in the inner city. 
and um, a lot of ideas to bring you know factories back and manufacturing back to the state because our, our the capital region where I live has been decimated by high taxes and bad trade deals. We have if you go down the Hudson River, if you go down uh, the uh, these areas here, you see broken down factory after broken down factory for hundreds of miles. And the city I grew up in grew up in, in the fifties was incredible, incredible city with 100,000 people and booming business and things like that. And then the factory shut down and done, welfare state. So, um, and that's when the city was destroyed. Now it's, you know, one step away from a war zone, basically. So, uh, and to me, these are common sense ideas. And I'm like, I, like, you know, you, the taxes are too high in our state, it's been decades of corru corruption. And uh, I think it's easily to easy to fix personally. <clears throat> Yeah, well, you know, one thing that I've, I've kind of run into, like I told you, we moved to a new location right before the coronavirus. But the reason behind us moving is that we basically, our city rezoned our property. We, we owned it the last location too, 4,000 square foot. This one's 8,000. But they rezoned our property two times and they never notified us. And we got in the strictest zone in the entire city. And literally across the street from us is like what you could only describe as a crack house, right? Yeah. So it's like we were in, we were one block back off a really main drag in our town, right? Like it was just like one, there's like a field in front of us, really expensive commercial land that wasn't selling forever. And then we were right there. And on all sides of us on that block back was residential. Yeah. But they're like, yeah, well, in 30 years, we want it to look this way. So if you want to build, you're going to have to build it this way. And you're going to have to install this sidewalk curb and gutter. Oh, there's no sewage over here. You're going to have to dig that sewage. So, I mean, essentially, we got forced out of our neighborhood. Yeah, but, man, I just feel like the narrative here, like that you've raised points and that I've experienced even before this is that businesses are not taken into account enough for the type of society and economy and system, it, it being a capital society that we're running. Why do you think that is? Like we are set up for business to flourish, but like, man, I feel like government does not give a damn about business until it's time to get some votes. And then they like, I feel like there's a little bit of like, oh, we're going to do this. But man, the taxes I pay and everything, I just feel like the government does not care about businesses. And it's easy. It's very easy to feel that way. I think that we have, you know, an education system that's been overrun by, you know, the 1960s, 1970s postmodern intellectuals who push group identity and push victimization and oppression and things like that. And all these like Marxist ideologies. And I think that's what has, it's been like, years and years and years where, where we've been desensitized to this and you know in the education system when you have these individuals teaching kids about oppression i i live i grew up in the ghetto i've been kidnapped i've been stabbed i've been jumped i've been you name it it's happened to me i know how it works i know how it goes and when i go down the street and i see all these people protesting about things that they know nothing about and trying to become a become a part of a group that would never accept them until they held up a sign and bowed down to them. That bothers me. And that's, that's the, been the, the, the trend in government is too much control to the point where when I reopen my business and people are going, I'm waiting for Andrew Cuomo's directive. Uh, you did it safely, but we can't trust other people to do it as safe. What, what's going on? I mean, the government does not have a track record <laughs> of making sure that our best interests are for ourselves. And we're, the whole society is based, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights are the fewest set of rules and one of the greatest written documents in history because it was the government trusting the creativity and industri industriousness of the people. That was the whole premise and it was a very good premise and it works and it's perfect, more or less. But yeah, we've had years and years and maybe decades of like these different ideologies coming in of, uh, uh, you know, obviously it would be like a utopia or something like that, but where we've just kind of inch by inch allowed them to encroach on us and implement more taxes and implement more regulations. 
as Andrew Cuomo's doing right now, under the guise, they always do it under the guise of it's for your safety, it's for your benefit, it's for public health, it's for regulations, it's for other people to have roads and schools and things like this. And now you see that they're, where the where is this money going? Who's monitoring this money? Who's accounting for it? Who's in charge of it? Where does it go? I don't know where it goes. You know where it goes? You know, our taxes and stuff like that. We just send it out into the ether and somehow, some way, things magically appear. So that that timeline of history in this country of like more, 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 here we are. And uh, I think for the first time ever in the past four years, and regardless of what someone thinks, I think that a lot of that's been changing. And, you know, and it's kind of breaking apart the old guard, which is a big problem for people. Um, but yeah, we've just allowed this idea has been cemented in people's head that we need more regulations. We need more public health measures. We need more taxes. When, like I said before, businesses will take care of their businesses better than anyone. And if you are a poor business owner with poor habits, people stop going, your business shuts down. It's a natural selection, natural order, right? Um, but people have shifted away from that. I don't think it's the majority though. I really don't. From what I've seen, I think that there's, it's, it's more of that ideology is a lot easier to be vocal about because the, their arguments are very simple and it's very just like, uh, just, just put it out there. It's not, there's no complex, there's no logic, there's no reason, there's no uh, empirical data, there's nothing like that. So we've just allowed this to go too far for too long. And that, in my opinion, that's the biggest problem. Well, man, and one thing that I've kind of, I've said this a few times uh, to people in passing and, and it just has been a reoccurring thought for me is that I don't think that the government can protect me from a virus and I really don't want them to try because they don't do things well with tax money and other things too. It's like, hey, look, my faith going into you to protecting me to the virus was kind of at a low. Yeah. Even though, like here in my uh, community and in my state, like we're, our governor is Republican governor. All, all of our local politicians, for the most part, judges, quorum court, heavily uh, Republican base. And it's like, hey, you less government guys changed my zoning requirements illegally without telling me. Like, what's up with that? Oh, we should have a meeting about this. But it's, you know, it's what's fascinating to me, too, is uh, not not necessarily saying about the Trump administration or things, but like lo like the local and state level, like the less government crew is pushing the more government agenda as much as anyone else, it seems like. I, and I think I think that's because a lot of it, too, is and this is a trap that pe people get boxed in ideo ideologically and I refuse to let it happen to me. I refuse to put up a post about something and they go ah trump orange man bad you know like just some crazy like um it's an individual thing it's always i mean you there are issues and problems across party lines but like for, i have the same thing in my area where it's, it's republican based and things like that but it's the individuals that get put in these positions that uh, that like to have that sense of power and it's just that that idea of power where they just can say Nah, move your building over three inches to the right. I think that'd be better. You know, it's it's like they thrive off of it in a sense. So I think that's that's the biggest problem. And I think a lot of the the party line stuff is just it's it's really more of a battle of of people that that want you either want people to be able to live their lives how they want, and they want you put your building where it's appropriate. And there's land. There should be you can put a building there. It's very clear. Now, in like Saratoga Springs, the city I live in, it's super, super historical, late 1800s architecture. So sometimes I don't like when they break that down and they put a new building up there. So there are things like that, like historically speaking, where I go, ah, I, I could see where there might be a regulation there in a moderate sense. But it's the individuals, the individuals that could put in these positions that on a, they're on a power trip you know it's i love police but there's tons of police that have the same thing that whatever the case may be um so yeah i mean i guess it's just it's a matter of you know who's there in your local area and it's it's definitely it's definitely not a partisan thing whatsoever sometimes but most of the time i'd say it's not it's an individual thing man on that note and i've seen you 
make some brief commentary on that. And you've even mentioned since we've been talking about law enforcement, like where are you at and what are you doing with the narrative that has come out of the George Floyd killing and with that, like, I mean, obviously like I support law enforcement, I offer free training for them at my gym. I know you do. I think, I think most people do. And I think most cops are good cops, but like, uh, what is your interpretation of, of what's going on? I know I've seen and heard some things about, you know, New York city and things and corruption, Rikers Island and stuff that's going on with that. But like, what's your, what's, uh, what's your assessment with this whole movement to defund the police and should police be trained in jujitsu? Uh, the defund the police movement is a complete joke. It, it's it's a it's a branding term. It's a catchy in your head. They put it out there, you know. And I say, what are you going to do when you defund the police? What are you going to do when you abolish the police? What's your solution to this? Well, we're going to uh, reallocate those tax dollars into programs for social work and to this and to that. Okay, what programs? What programs? Tell me right now. Name five. And I never get one answer because and and this is going to be another example of tax dollars going in a direction where we have no idea where they're going. So defund the police is a complete joke. Um, now, do I agree that police should be better trained? Without question. You could take any cop in off the street here that doesn't do jujitsu. Let me full mount them. They're gonna react the same as any other person that walks in that door. And because uh, the training is so bare bones and so minimal. I have seen agencies across the state that have great training. The New York State Police, their recruits for six months do basically jujitsu every day. At least they're working on jujitsu, and it's been that way for a while because they had a black belt in charge of their DT program. Um, Rob Hugus, super knowledgeable guy. Another guy up here, Jay Wadsworth. That's great. Uh, so yeah, I think police. I think the training needs to be improved. I think it needs to be increased. I think every cop that's ever trained here at my gym, they have way less use of force complaints, and they manage stress better. Meaning, when they get into a situation, they don't go to that red zone right away because someone called them a name. They, if someone throws a punch at them, they don't reach and fall down, you know, firing off shots. They can, they're, they're in more of a state of, of mindfulness and calmness when they're in these situations. And that's directly related to jujitsu being forced into these uncomfortable situations. So cops should be training jujitsu. I think it should be a mandatory thing. I think it should be one or two days a week at least that they train for longevity. Um, if that can't be done, which that's a, a tall order then it should be a more intense training program that they go through. But it's got to be a long-term thing. This stuff mm -hmm. doesn't work short-term. It doesn't work that way. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of being. It's a way of seeing the world. So that's where you see the difference in these cops. And I'll tell you this. When we started, and, and now probably, I don't know, over five or six of our black belts are law enforcement. And when they're working and they get into a crazy situation, Everybody else is wondering where they are. Where's someone? Is he coming? You know, like, is he going to come help us here? And I mean, the stories are that I could go on and on with crazy stories of law enforcement doing these heroic and insanely heroic things here in this local area. But defund the police is a total joke. And there's no logic to it. There's, well, there's flawed logic. There's very simple logic to it. And there's no real uh, effort being put into where those tax dollars are going to go. And they, they just, you want chaos, you want social workers to go, good luck with that. Good luck with that. We had one of our guys a couple of years ago, there was a heavyweight professional boxer used to spar with Mike Tyson. And he knocked his wife out cold and was on PCP. And the guy was 6'3", 280 pounds. He used to spar Tyson. And uh, send a social worker in there. Go ahead. Good luck with that. This guy was folding people up left and right, anybody who came near him. Who saved the day? One of our jujitsu guys pulled up, got out of the car, double-legged him, jumped on his back, and that was it. Five seconds. Didn't even flinch. And um, aren't choke are chokeholds illegal now in your state? Uh, who knows? Everything's illegal in our state, but um, I think that if it wasn't New York, maybe Jersey, somewhere in the Northeast, just banned the chokehold. Uh, they've always been banned. That's the okay. Thing. Okay. That the I'm looking at the guidelines talking to the cops here i'm going uh you guys can't really do chokeholds anyway correct and they go yeah we're, we're not allowed to do them unless it's life or death situation then we can apply it okay okay which they still can't um 
So in the penal law, that's where, you know, use of strangulation, that's where they were allowed to do it, which is the same. You know, then all these de-escalation procedures are trying to put in place. Uh, they already do this stuff, but they do need more training. They need more, they need improved training, they need better training. They agree with it. The cops agree with it, you know, so that's really where, what they need. And to defund the police is, is totally pointless. You know, you're going to have guys losing their jobs left and right. You're going to have cars that don't work. You're going to have, you know, uh, it's, it's just going to be crazy. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, man, that when you hit the nail on the head, I think is like, they, there needs to be consistent training. Like, I mean, just like the, like our hobby jujitsu students are going to come in a couple of times a week. I, I gave, if given this analogy a couple of times on the podcast, like let's say I had an MMA fighter because cops typically do 40 hours, like in our community, 40 hours, one time a year, like yeah. a, a week out of the year. I was like, okay, so I, I'm going to book these all day MMA seminars for five days. My fighter over here, they're going to attend all five of them. Uh, they're going to do eight hours a day. And then they're only going to fight for the whole year after that. They're going to receive no other instruction for the most part. They're going to get there because people always are on the job experience, arresting people, you know, they get practice. And I'm like, this one time a year thing is not cutting it. It needs to be a consistent process. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally, totally agree with that because, it's, you know, they always, you, know, you look at Hoist Gracie in the first UFC, Hoist Gracie was a fourth degree black belt. You know, he wasn't, uh, you know, one year blue belt fighting the first UFC. That just goes to show that it's not that easy. You know, on some sense, listen, I, you know, we've got blue belts here that would, that toy with people, but um, they need, it needs to be consistent. It needs to be done as a lifestyle. It needs to be an, a lifestyle thing that's implemented into their training. And there'll be a lot of cops that are opposed to it, but guess what? There'll be double the amount that are for that, that will come on the job. You know, because nowadays, who's going to want to be a cop in this, in this state of chaos that we're dealing with? Yeah. This is something else. I, I didn't think about this till like Stefan Kesting was on the show a week or so ago, and I was having a similar conversation with him. Because yep. um, I'm fascinated what, uh, I mean, you're a high-level jiu-jitsu guy. I want to hear what your take is on jiu-jitsu for police. I mean... But he said, uh, he goes, Just, you know, I'm tr he, he was a little reluctant to chime in on it at first. But then he goes, uh, one thing he said I thought was profound is he's like, imagine jujitsu in the hands of a sadist. Right. Of like the, the cops, that, the super small percentage of cops were worried about the people like this Derek Chauvin guy. It's yeah. like. And that was something I never thought about that. I was like, oh, man, that is a great point. Like. What about bad cops? We give them a tool like jujitsu. Like, I wonder what that would look like for somebody that's like a sociopath. Well, what about the bad people that do jujitsu? I mean, we can't we can't control we can't control individual personalities of people. We have we have to. That's another problem. Going back to what I was saying about this whole idea of not trusting people and trusting the government. You know, so mm -hmm. we're going to take away the ability for. We'll take the guns away. That's the case. That make that argument. Why? Why? Why have them, Why let them have guns? Why let them have tasers? You know. Why let them be a cop? Um, first of all, I'm under the impression, from what I've seen in 20 plus years of jujitsu, that if those sadists then go and train jujitsu, that they will become different. It will change them. It's a great point too. That's the truth. Now, if it doesn't have that effect, which it doesn't have that effect for everybody, a low percentage. You know. I mean. How many people are going to make it this far in jujitsu and, and still be like that? I mean, it's like you're talking 1%, if that, if that's even a reasonable metric. Um, but we can't take these valuable tools away from the vast majority that are going to use them for good just because a few idiots are going to, you know, go out and, and do a couple arm bars on people too hard. But we're also talking about jujitsu. We're talking about the fact that, you know, we're not teaching them how to throw spinning head kicks and and things like that we're teaching them how to take down and control somebody so as far as a, a sadistic form of self-defense or control i'd say we're giving them the least violent the least violent way to to disarm somebody but yeah that argument is like you're going to take away 98 percent of the people's ability to defend themselves because two guys two percent of guys are idiots those guys are going to weed themselves out anyway that's a great point man that's a, that is uh 
Interesting perspective. And this is, man, I just been trying to, to talk to as many people as I can about all this stuff going on because yeah, there's Spanish flu in 1918. There's, there's been stuff similar is what is happening right now in, in 1968 in terms of riots ensuing that were prolonged uh, civil unrest, but man, it's, you know, talking with people and getting different views and perspectives has been beneficial for, uh, trying to understand and navigate through what's going on because it is unprecedented yeah we're having like a, a crazy and incredible awakening of things right now where it, where you know we're seeing everybody's political ideology come out we're seeing everybody's opinion come out we're seeing everything come to the forefront you know more than ever people are just speaking about things that they never would have spoke about before uh, i don't remember having any political conversation with someone in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, you know, I, I'm very little, few, far between, but um, yeah, we've, we've gotten, we're in a very, very strange uh, time right now where it's going to be a turning point of some sort in some regard, regardless of what you believe, but it's very odd. It's very odd to me and it's, uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, man. Well, Eddie, I really, um, again, I appreciate you having the courage to share yeah. your views. Um, I've appreciated your commentary. I think more people should be doing this. I think that a lot of times business owners are worried and they will not put themselves out there. And I think you've inspired a lot of people in what you've been doing. So, uh, thanks for coming on the show and talking about it. Uh, you know, um, I'm a fan. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I had a good time and I was, I was glad to be here. Thanks for asking me. All right, man. Well, I hope I see you soon on down the road. Thanks brother. All right. Have a good night.